Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes... Nearly $10 million was all gone. It's just unbelievable. Hide your money in your old rich men, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Jobsolete, where we examine old-timey jobs that are long gone. This week, we're learning about animators before computer animation, when each frame was drawn and painted by hand. We're talking about the animation cell inker. Bringing cartoons to life. Drawing everything by hand. The early days of Disney. Nibs! It's not what you think. 85-hour work weeks. Carpal tunnel syndrome. Snow White and Peter Pan. Matt, we've got another really cool guest today. It's Patricia Zone, a writer about the fine arts and cinema for Vanity Fair. Her aunt used to actually do this job, and that's what got her interested in researching it. Before we begin, what do you know about animation before computers? Well, I, I think about flip books, right? Like you would draw a picture and then you would draw a bunch of pictures that are slightly different. And then if you did a flip book, it would look like they were moving. Yeah. And that's totally not how they did it, apparently, <laughs> back in the day. They actually had a plastic film and they would draw on this plastic film and paint the plastic film and they did it all by hand. Whoa. And that's the position today. We're talking about the people who made these still images come to life. Animation cell inkers. Oh, Matt, we actually have an audience question about this topic. Ooh. Yeah. Some, one of our listeners, one of our awesome listeners, actually submitted a question in regards to this profession. I'm Max Pogler, and I wanted to know what the inkers and painters did to get their lines looking so smooth, like without the use of computers. You know, thanks. So how did they get those lines to look so smooth without computers? That's a great question. We're going to answer that later in the show when we talk about tools of the trade. But right now, we are going to get into it. Are you ready, listeners? Let's hop into the Jobsolete time machine. Back to the Great Depression, the heyday of this particular type of animation. Matt, Matt and I have been practicing our sound effects of hopping back in the time machine. Okay, Matt, so like, what did you have to know how to do to do this job? 
Well, many did have an arts background. Many did have portfolios to prove they could draw well. But more particularly, technical aptitude, proof of precision, a steady hand, artistic talent, and just creativity in general were all good things to help you with this one. Steady hand. I mean, if it's all done by hand, yeah, you would have to have a steady hand. I mean, you can't be like a little bit shaky. Like, like hold off on the coffee. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, Matt, who were the people that did this job? Most of them were younger, under 25, but all of them were women. Really? Yes, they were. The women were the animation cell anchors. The men were the actual animators. Oh. And you're probably wondering right now, what's the difference? <laughs> what's the difference? Yeah, so the difference is the... Animation cell inkers were the ones who essentially brought each cartoon position to connect with the next cartoon oh, position. Or like you were saying before about the flip books, like you had a bunny, you drew a bunny, and then like the next frame, the bunny was like all the way across the room. The the cell the animation cell inker would be the person who would get the bunny from point A to point B, like all the little frames that have to go to get this bunny from this part of the room to that part of the room. Yeah. Yeah. It was very tedious work, as you can imagine. I'm still tripping on the fact that men were called animators and women were called cell anchors because sexism. Yeah. So the animators, they drew the cartoons in positions that were common, but, you know, to, to draw every single frame, you know, that's just oh, men. They didn't, they couldn't men. handle that. So. <laughs> But, you know, these women that were these animation cell anchors, they were just as qualified as the men, of course. But, well, because of sexism, yep. they were given the more tedious work. They were not paid as well. But still, it was a very appealing job because, I mean, getting to work on, you know, Mickey Mouse cartoons and Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, the first full-length animation feature by Disney. That's like still exciting to be a part of that. And you're talking about the 30s, right? This is the 30s, like still kind of part of the Great Depression. Like there were a lot of people that were out of work and some people yeah. were desperate for work. And I, when I researched for this episode, I kept coming across the word tracing, but they were drawing unique pictures, you know, that... I, in fact, I bet you they would be offended if, if you uh, said that they were just tracing. You know, they were actually drawing every image, coloring these cell celluloid sheets with India ink. Oh, so that's where the word cell comes from. From, you know, the, the job is animation cell anchor, C-E-L, and cell is short for celluloid. That's correct. Probably oh, should have said that earlier. Wow. <laughs> All right. Let's look at the skills needed here. Let's get more into the skills. Okay. He needed to train them the way he thought was best. And he was a complete perfectionist. Okay, we should probably pause right there and say that he, we're actually talking about Walt Disney himself. Whoa! So, like the other departments, the women had to be trained, and they entered a five-day-a-week three-hour-a-day, five-month training period where every Friday they had elimination day. It was really a question of up or out at the Walt Disney Studio. They were looking for a very steady hand, the ability to make a very delicate line, 
but also the ability to take an animator's drawing and impart even more life to that line. I found it really interesting when she said they had to have such a delicate line so that they could actually improve on the animator's work. So it was the women's job, the animation cell anchor, to sort of even, you know, one up the animator and make what they drew come even more to life. So in in a certain way, I would say maybe the animation cell anchor's job was even more difficult than the than the animators because they had they had to be so precise with the detail like make this bunny bambi look alive yeah that's crazy almost correct the mistakes of the animators sometimes you know and she was saying that disney walt disney was a perfectionist that he essentially hired the best talent he could find and then when they got there, he's like, you don't know anything. We're going yeah. to retrain you. <laughs> so It's cool that Walt Disney was kind of creating his own art form in a way because this wasn't anything that had been done before. And he, and he was retraining everyone who came to work for him in a very specific way. Now we're going to look at the tools of the trade and specifically what Patricia's Aunt Ray used while she was on the job. Oh, and listener Max, who submitted the question, this is where you're going to get your answer. And she had an array of pens to choose from, an array of nibs to choose from, some of the finest nibs. They wore white gloves with their thumb and forefingers cut out. And they usually had on smocks so that their hair or fuzz from their Angora sweaters wouldn't get into the drawings. And They sometimes had nibs like pointers that they would use those to hold down the drawing even further, even more than the pegs would hold it down because it could slip a bit on the pegs. And they would carefully, delicately, painstakingly paint these very, very important and wonderfully exuberant and lively lines, the colors of the characters. A character like Jiminy Cricket, for example, needed 27 different colors of paint. And when you're working with 27 different paint colors in one small little Jiminy Cricket, that can be quite challenging. Okay, Matt, I am not being naughty or fresh <laughs> or sexually harassing you, but what <laughs> what is a nib? <laughs> oh, watch your mouth. No. <laughs> Yeah, a nib is just the the end of a pen that you would dip your ink into. So, oh, uh, like a like a fe- like a feather quill, like Benjamin Franklin used. That would be an example. Yeah. So, <laughs> they had the they had some of the finest nibs <laughs> at Disney Studios. <laughs> it is a funny word. Yeah. I'm sorry. Every time I hear it, I giggle. Like, oh gosh, it's a PG show. She mentioned Jiminy Cricket and using 27 different types of paint just for Jiminy Cricket. So lots of details, lots lots of very unique colors that came from their work. I mean, I just can't imagine, like you were saying earlier, you know, it's if it's 24 frames a second, meaning they have to do 24 selves every second of film, and they're just... And they're drawing basically the same thing over and over and over and over again. Like, it it would be crazy making for some people. Yeah. 
I guess it kind of would be. I it's hard for I, I just today we just take gr- computers for granted that you know copy paste copy paste you know like but they were the copiers and pasters except they were human copy pasters. That's crazy. And they must have had so much. I mean, these must have been the most detail-oriented people to make the exact same cell with just slight different. Like every second had to be slightly different, but the rest of it mostly had to be exactly the same. Wow. That is, that's real talent and real precision. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. ...tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. ...that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes about six million approximately 11 million dollars nearly 10 million dollars was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry she would probably have sex with one of her clients hide your money in your old rich man because <laughs> she is on the prowl listen to queen of the con season five the athlete whisperer on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. They had such unique colors, they didn't know what to name these colors, so they started naming them after the women who were the animation cell anchors in the the ink and paint department at Disney. Whoa! 
Oh, that is super cool. Oh, I wouldn't I wouldn't mind having a color called Hong. What color would Hong be? Maybe black. No, no, you know what it'd be? It'd be like black, but with like, if you turned it in the light, it might be a little bit like reddish. I'm trying to uh, picture that and I can't, which is wonderful. <laughs> a typical day, they could be producing up to eight to 10 animated cells an hour. So if it's an eight hour day, you do the math, that's 80 animated cells in a work day. Now that's before Snow White. Why, why was Snow White a turning point, Matt? Before Snow White, a short film was more common because they were just easier to make. Uh, it would be about 15,000 cells, and it would be, you know, just a few minutes long, and you, can, you could pump these out more. But Walt Disney had this grand vision for a full-length, you know, motion picture that could compete with the live-action motion pictures. And so for Snow White, if they wanted it to be a full-length film, they needed it to be around 250,000 cells. Wow. I just, you know, I'm thinking back. I haven't seen Snow White in a while, but like I'm thinking back to all the little like the birds <laughs> that are sick, the birds that flit around her head and the seven dwarves and the hot prince. Like there is a lot going on in Snow White. So I can't imagine these women are just slaving like all day on birds and bunnies and dwarves. So do you know if any of these women ever were able to rise in the ranks? One notable person who became very influential was Hazel Sewell. Walt soon hired a young woman from the neighborhood, Hazel Sewell, whose mother had been an early film editor, or what they were called then a film cutter, who lived nearby. And soon after her sister Lillian Bounds, joined them. Hazel became head of a very small blackening and opaquing department. Soon it was called tracing and opaquing, and then it was called eventually inking and painting. That is really cool that in such a sexist time in the 30s that this woman Hazel Sewell was able to be head of a department at Disney. Like that's a big deal. Yeah, she led this team of all women and essentially had a lot of control. Like, she was the one who came up with all this really strict criteria that gave us, the, like, the Disney look. Is that a thing? The Disney look. Just yeah, I think it is, especially from that time. Like, if you look at Snow White and you look at Peter Pan, there is a look. There's a very specific look that's like, I mean, I don't know how to describe like a like a fluidity to the motion. You know, it's Disney. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so cool that this woman, Hazel Sewell, was able to like put her mark or stamp and help make a Disney brand, like make that very specific look that that everyone knows is the Disney look of animation. Definitely. And by World War Two, I should add that Walt Disney completely trusted her to lead the team. We talked earlier about how Walt was particularly a perfectionist and she kind of filled that role and took it to a new level. So I think she's a name that you should be familiar with. You know what I think is so cool about this job is that it's a combination of technical and creative, right? Like you had to be a creative person. You had to be an artist, a painter, and a drawer. But also there was a lot of technical 
feet to it. You had to use this celluloid paper. You had to use these very specific pens. You had to have an extremely steady hand. So it was just a very cool mix of technical and creative. Which probably led to this pride that these women had, despite the fact that it was such a difficult profession. (laughs) When did this job start going away? Helen, did you know that there were a lot of strikes at Disney in the 1940s or during World War II? No, I had no idea. Yeah, no. Walt actually had a bad name there for a while because he kind of gained a reputation for not treating his workers well enough. And so there were a lot of strikes, animators and animation cell anchors as well, although they, they didn't participate in the strikes as much. And so this actually slowed down production quite a bit during World War II. A few years later, and we have a Xerox-like system. Mechanization began by the late 50s, when the Xerox machine could have an impact. And Walt was in touch with the Xerox Corporation, and they began testing various machines at the studio to see if they could actually just copy the animator's drawings without human intervention. And... The other thing that happened is that Walt's attention was drifting to theme parks and his TV series. So by the end of Sleeping Beauty, they were testing this Xerox mechanism. And in fact, it worked quite well. They thought perhaps they could train the inkers to work the Xerox machines. But the inkers had a lot of pride in their work, understandably. And they resented tremendously the the thought that their jobs were going to be taken away by a machine. And so most of them did not stay on. My aunt worked for Disney until 1950, which was just about the time that things began to change. Then she was also having her children. And by the way, once you had children, a lot of the women left. And this was one of the other reasons why Walt did not like hiring women in departments other than the ink and paint department because women would get married and get have, want to have babies and stop working. But Walt, the other thing that happened at the Disney studio is that Walt was pretty paranoid about his production process, and he didn't like the women to take their inking work home. And so many of them went to work for a rival studio, and the animators had also gone to work for rival studios. A number of the men who had gone on strike went to work at places like Hanna-Barbera, where they let you take work home. Oh, isn't that, what an insult. Like, hey, spectacularly talented uh, hand painter and drawer, can you switch to pushing the Xerox machine button instead? <laughs> like, what a, <laughs> what a gut punch. Yeah. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. 
I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. ...tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. ...that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes about six million approximately 11 million dollars nearly 10 million dollars was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry she would probably have sex with one of her clients hide your money in your old rich man because <laughs> she is on the prowl listen to queen of the con season five the athlete whisperer on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, you can tell the difference between movies, animated feature films by Disney that came out beginning in the 1960s compared to earlier decades. Mm. I'm sure the listener, you know, recalling movies that like think about a movie like The Jungle Book or Robin Hood that came out in this. I think I think those are the 60s. Oh, yeah. Robin Hood. That's like distinctly different from that yes. sort of Sleeping Beauty style for sure. It doesn't have the same aesthetics. Like it doesn't look yeah. as good. Yeah, you're right. It just it's not as fluid. Like there yeah. was like a real fluidity to the to the earlier movies. I I also like ugh, it's so it's so typical that these men who are the animators are like, "Yeah, get rid of these women who are like one-upping our paintings and making them better." Boo, women. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it all comes back again. I want to stress again how Walt Disney was looking for a way to not only speed up production, but not rely on just animators in general. So yeah, of course, this just kept on going until we get to the 1980s and the digital process kind of taken over with computers. We have Pixar that comes around, which introduces the Computer Animation Production System, or CAPS. And from there, the rest is history. We know that it's all done on computers these days. 
That's so interesting because I love Pixar. I love the style of Pixar, but I think what makes Pixar amazing is the realistic, right? There's there's some some frames of those animated movies that are like, whoa, that looks like a photograph. It looks so real. It looks like a video camera or something. So that's kind of what's mind-blowing about Pixar. But there is something to be said about those early days of Disney being like very artistic and just that fluidity of movement that is just so stylistic that, you know, that's it's gone now. We don't have that anymore. That brings us to the legacy of these animation cell anchors. There is no doubt they were extremely inventive to just the overall progression of animation. So, in fact, the inky department was quite inventive. They weren't just a receptive department. They were an inventive department. And the animators hadn't thought of everything. And especially when it came to female characters, they added a little oomph to to the cheeks and to the eyebrows and to the hair that I think really made a difference in the final films. I never even thought of that. I, I But that's true. Like a lot of the characters are women. I, I think that is such a really good point. If you're having only men draw women, there's something not right about that. Like there's something that's lost with having only men draw women. Like you need a, a female eye to catch some of the, the details that a man might necessarily catch. It's not just boobs and butts, guys. It's not just boobs and butts. I mean, that's really sad that like this job, like many, many of the jobs that we talk about on this podcast, Matt, it's just it got lost to automation. And part of me thinks like, yeah, obviously you don't want to have an army of people hunched over drawing the same essentially painting over and over and over again. Like it's such a labor intensive job. So obviously like the march of progress, like things are going to get animated and things are going to get taken over by machines and computers. But, but I'm really thankful that this job existed in a time when probably a lot of great, very cool artistic jobs were not available to women. Definitely. And I, just to kind of come full circle for this episode, at the beginning of this episode, we were talking about how essentially these women were, or like robots even, like they were, you know, it, it was all about technicality. Whereas now I would say it was more about the art and not really necessarily the craft. I mean, like the fact that they created brand new styles entirely that were later replicated by machines, you know, like they, they, were, they taught those computers later on what these animation cell anchors did originally. So I am so, so glad that we are doing this job and talking about this on our podcast, because I think the average person has no idea the history of like the Disney style of animation, how much this army of women really contributed to that. And when you think about Snow White and Mickey Mouse and Peter Pan and those old style, the very first features, animated features that Disney put out, that it was women that had so much of a hand in creating that style. And I and I hope people know that and spread the word. Literally their hands. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, do you think that these women got carpal tunnel syndrome? Absolutely. <laughs> Ow. I mean, you they must have suffered physically. If you're spending 80 hours a week hunched over drawing precise, you know, inking and drawing precisely with nibs, come on, that can't be good on the body. 
She said nibs. <laughs> yeah, no, I had to Google this, but apparently Carpal Tunnel was only first described in the 1930s. So, <gasps> yeah, they probably had Carpal Tunnel, but they just didn't oh, know what was going on. They invented Carpal Tunnel. They, they were the first ones to make Carpal Tunnel a thing. All this conjecture, Helen. It's <laughs> reckless. Just, just stick with what we know now. <laughs> Jobsolete is produced for iHeartRadio by Zealot Manufacturing Hand Forge Podcast for you. It's hosted by us, Helen Hong, that's me, and Matt B. That's me. The show was conceived and produced by Steve Zamarki, Anthony Savini, and Jason Elliott. Our editor is Tommy Nickel. Our researcher is Amelia Polka. Our production coordinator is Angie Jaimes. And theme music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. A special thanks to our iHeartRadio team. Katrina Norvell, Nikki Etor, Ali Cantor, Carrie Lieberman, Will Pearson, Connell Byrne, and Bob Pittman. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's been almost 3,000 years, and Greek mythology has proved that it is not going anywhere. But it can be difficult to find entertaining and engaging retellings of these myths that aren't fictionalized. Lucky for you, I'm here. Let's Talk About Myths Baby is the Greek mythology and ancient history podcast of your dreams. I dive into the convoluted and confusing ancient sources so you don't have to. Listen to Let's Talk About Myths Baby on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes... Nearly $10 million was all gone. It's just unbelievable. Hide your money in your old rich men, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.